2: I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, a friend sent me a link to the website for the SCAR project. Uh, it's www.thescarproject.org. Uh, it was created by photographer David Jay in his ongoing series of portraits of people who have faced breast cancer. Uh, image after image really feature women in starkly beautiful and poignant and sometimes unsettling portraits in which their surgical scars are revealed. I was admiring the photographs and thinking about these women when I noticed on the left menu that there was a section called Scar Project Men. I clicked on the link and discovered another set of portraits, but this time of men who faced breast cancer. And and while the images maybe to some were a little less jarring, they were certainly no less poignant. Um, I, I, uh, I knew on the spot that I really wanted to find out more about the experience of men who faced a form of cancer that is overwhelmingly associated with women. Uh, With us today to help us better understand the experience of men diagnosed with breast cancer are Dr. Oliver Bogler and Dr. Sharon Giordano. Uh, Oliver Bogler is a Ph.D. He is Senior Vice President of Academic Affairs and a Professor of Neurosurgery Research at uh, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, where he also serves... As vice president of global academic programs, Dr. Bogler studied natural sciences at Cambridge University and then moved to the laboratory of Dr. Mark Noble, Ludwig Institute for Cancer Research, University College branch in London for his PhD. In 2005, Dr. Bogler joined the Department of Neurosurgery and the Brain Tumor Center at MD Anderson as director of basic research and was promoted to professor in 2009. He was diagnosed with breast cancer in September 2012. In an unusual twist of fate five years earlier, his wife, Irene Newsham, uh, had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, Welcome you to the show, Dr. Bogler. Thank you very much. Uh, We also have with us today Dr. Sharon Giordano. She's a board-certified medical oncologist. She's also a professor with tenure at the University uh, of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in the Department of Breast Medical Oncology and chair of the Department of Health Services Research. Dr. Giordano received her undergraduate degree from Yale University. She holds her M.D. degree from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and a Master of Public Health degree in disease control from the University of Texas School of Public Health. Dr. Giordano's research interests include breast cancer outcomes research, late effects of treatment in male breast cancer. Dr. Giordano serves on the editorial boards for cancer and the Journal of Clinical Oncology. She is a current member and chair-elect of the ASCO Clinical Practice Guideline Committee, she also serves on the National Comprehensive Cancer Network Breast Cancer Guidelines Committee. Welcome, Dr. Giordano. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, uh, Dr. Bogler. I want to start with you. Um, can you uh, take us back in time a little bit? Can you tell us what were some of the symptoms that you experienced or, or anomalies that you noticed, which caused you to think that something was was physically wrong?
3: Sure. It's a fairly typical story. Um, uh, you know, I felt a lump uh, in my uh, right breast and um uh, you know it it seemed to grow uh, and shrink at different times it was a little bit painful um and i kind of thought about it and wondered about it for for a while um and of course um you know being a cancer biologist cancer um crossed my mind um but uh um yeah that was that was really the starting point um i did some searching on the internet as people often do and um you know the the wondered whether this could be something serious.
2: So, did you immediately think cancer or what I mean what what kinds of things were kind of go, going through your mind? It, it, you know, what what were some of the things you thought it, it you know, it could be what was sort of your mindset at that point?
3: Yeah, so it was it was a bit complex. Um you mentioned, you know, my wife's diagnosis, so though although part of me did think cancer, you know, uh, I think um being uh, in this field and working in this area um means that Almost anything in your body, you, you know, it does cross your mind. But at the same time, I just couldn't believe um, that that would be the case, that, the, you know, the coincidence just seemed too improbable. And, uh, you know, my Internet searching, um, uh, you know, typically uh, breast cancers aren't in and of themselves painful and um you know i there were lots of stories that i told myself um for a while that that you know made me think well let me watch it for another month and see if it if it uh, uh you know goes away and uh but cancer was in the mix but obviously it, uh, it 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 um it wasn't the only thing that i was considering and um i was hoping obviously for something else
2: so when you when you look back would you say that there was a, a long Time lag between when you notice symptoms and when you get when to get things checked out, or from you know, were, did you feel like maybe you were having some symptoms that you were ignoring, or, or you know, what was that what was that process in that timeline?
3: Absolutely, um, and uh, absolutely. I mean, hindsight is is um, is, is uh, well known to be better than foresight.
4: Um, <laughs> in, in
3: retrospect, I should have acted sooner. Um, yeah, I mean, I told myself these stories that you know maybe um, it, it's painful, so that that's probably not uh, cancer because they're typically. You know, it turns out that my my tumor was actually uh, growing into the nipple, and that was the reason it was um, it, it hurt a little bit. I mean, it wasn't. Continuously painful, but if I'm if I touched it or whatever, then it was Um, And you know, I was one of those guys who I was in my uh, you know uh, mid to late 40s. I was 46 and um, I Didn't regularly go to a doctor Um, I actually had to find a primary care physician because I didn't want to go straight to an oncologist I didn't you know, I wanted to have a a, a general practitioner take a look at it first just to see if I was uh, crazy um, so I had to actually find a, 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 um, a, a family doctor first and make an appointment. And then um, when I went to see him, he said, "You know, my question was, what do you think? Should I have it checked out?" And he said, "Yes, definitely, you should. You should have it checked out." So if I had to do it over, I would uh, go a few months uh, sooner. Absolutely.
2: So, so what is what was the time span then from the time you started to notice something until the time you were actually diagnosed?
3: uh probably about 6 months i would say um mm-hmm. and uh yeah that that was probably the, the when it really became obvious to me that this was not something that was just going to go away by itself probably about 6 months
2: okay okay um dr giordano how how typical was uh was dr Vogler's experience i mean i i you know we deal with people with all cancers here at the cancer support community i certainly hear lots of stories about people saying oh i kind of ignored it i was young or I thought it was something else. I thought I couldn't possibly have cancer. So is there there a unique aspect of male breast cancer that you think delays this? Or do you think that this is kind of human behavior, human nature?
0: Well, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, Yeah, I I think this is a very typical story where there's a lag time between the time that somebody first notices a lump or some kind of change in their breast tissue before they come in to get diagnosed or or meet with their doctor. Um, You know, and most people don't think about men getting breast cancer. Dr. Bogler is probably in the unique position of being very well educated on the topic of cancer, being a cancer researcher himself. But I suspect that a lot of men out there don't even know that it's a possibility that they could get breast cancer. So it really takes a lot of symptoms or change to, to make, um, to make them come into the doctor and get it checked out because again, they just, they aren't expecting to get breast cancer. So there often is a lag time between the first symptom and the diagnosis.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's certainly not, uh, not, not surprising as you're suggesting that, that, uh, certainly plenty of men, I'm sure plenty of women and men don't actually realize sure. that men, that sure. men can get breast cancer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we know that about two thousand two hundred and forty cases of breast cancer are diagnosed in US men each year, compared with about two hundred and thirty-two thousand cases for women. And I wanna say those numbers again. Two thousand two hundred and forty cases in men and two hundred and thirty-two thousand cases for women. Um so really we're talking about less than one percent of all breast cancer diagnoses. Um so it you know, it would certainly, I guess, follow that the entire <laughs> process of dealing with breast cancer is probably geared um, towards females female patients uh, dr. Bogler is there a, is there a stigma for a man uh, being diagnosed with, uh, with with breast cancer prior to your diagnosis for example, did you know that a man could be diagnosed with breast cancer did you know any men who had had breast cancer
3: so i, I didn 't know any men who had uh, had breast cancer um, personally I mean I'd read about uh, a couple of celebrities um, in, in the press who who had um, been diagnosed with the disease, I knew um, that, that it was a possibility, um, but a remote possibility as the numbers that you uh, just quoted um, show um, I mean there is a stigma I mean for me, there was a sort of a very personal dimension to that, which is that um, I, I lacked the imagination of being able to picture the the breakfast conversation with uh, with Irene. Um, you know, uh, I just could never think of myself having, you know, saying to her, "I think I have what you had." Um, you know, I, so that was uh, just just a hard thing for me to imagine, and certainly influenced my delay because um, I just. You know, I I just couldn't see that. Um, There is a stigma. Um, I don't think it's a huge one, and I don't feel I'm particularly exposed to it because um, the community that I live and work in, um, many of my friends and colleagues are, um, many of my friends and and all of my colleagues are cancer professionals, Um, and so I don't experience the stigma at work. Uh, But, you know, I did, um, you know, of course, we shared this with our kids, and and I know that um, uh, my son, who is 12, um, uh, you know, some of the conversations he reported back from from his uh, friends at school um, Mm. certainly uh, highlight, uh, you know, a stigma. I mean, uh, some of his um, school friends said things like, well, my father doesn't have breasts and things like that, Um, (laughs) you know. uh, so there is clearly in the, in, in the wider public, I think there's still a potential for stigma. And I think that's one of the issues you mentioned, um, that, the, that the breast cancer community is focused on women. I think uh, women have done a fantastic job, and, and really breast cancer has been in the forefront of removing the stigma. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the world of pink, as it were, has, has made tremendous strides in that regard. Um, but there are still some... Uh, sort of uh, residual uh, areas in in the cancer world where there is stigma, and I think male breast cancer is probably uh, one of those examples.
2: And just before we get to our break, Dr. Bogler, do you think that there are uh, do you think that there are are men who perhaps either ignore uh, the symptoms that they're experiencing, or do you think that there are men who perhaps even go to the doctor, get tested, and get things checked out without? sharing that with a spouse or a loved one until a diagnosis, let's say, is confirmed? I,
3: I think that's uh, very likely, and, um, you know, people are quite private uh, about it, and, and because of the fear of, of, of the stigma, absolutely. I mean, you know, we do a fair amount of advocacy, my wife, of course, too, and um, you know, it's not unusual for, for, for example, a couple to come to a, um, you know, at a conference to come to a table where breast cancer awareness is being discussed and, you know, the man saying something like, well, that's not something I have to worry about. So uh, I, I think, as, as Sharon said a moment ago, many people are just not aware and um, that makes them vulnerable to, to misdiagnosis and delayed diagnosis.
2: Right, right. Uh, this is, frankly, speaking about cancer. We are talking today about male Breast cancer, with Dr. Oliver Bogler, who is a breast cancer survivor, and with Dr. Sharon Giordano, who's a board-certified medical oncologist at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Um, We have a lot to cover on the show. Again, uh, 2,240 cases of breast cancer are diagnosed uh, in U.S. men um, each year, and, and we're really talking about how the breast cancer movement is certainly geared towards uh, a female population a lot of folks aren't even aware that men can uh, get breast cancer but this is a very uh, very real challenge and, and, and struggle for, uh, for in fact thousands of men out there and we want to raise awareness of this issue today and uh, talk about male breast cancer and some of the resources that are, uh, that are out there. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break don't go away. We will be right back.
4: I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Regular exercise can reduce a woman's risk of cancer, but the benefits may be diminished if she gets too little sleep, researchers said on Monday. The study involving 5,968 women confirmed previous findings that people who do regular physical activity are less likely to develop cancer but when the researchers looked at the women ages 18 to 65 who were in the upper half in terms of the amount of physical exercise they got per week, they found that sleep appeared to play an important role in cancer risk. Researchers discovered that those who slept less than 7 hours nightly had a 47% higher risk of cancer than those who got more sleep among the physically active women. While additional studies need to be done to clarify how getting too little sleep may make one more susceptible to cancer, there is no question that getting adequate sleep has been long associated with health. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention calls sleep loss an unrecognized public health problem, saying Americans are getting less and less slumber. The CDC said the percentage of adults reporting sleeping six hours or fewer a night increased from 1985 to 2006. Sleep experts say chronic sleep loss is associated with obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, stroke, cardiovascular disease, depression, cigarette smoking, and excessive drinking. In addition, research has shown that people who get regular exercise have a reduced risk of breast, colon, and other types of cancer. Experts think the effects of exercise on the body's hormone levels, immune function, and body weight may play an important role. In other news, scientists say drugs used to control diabetes may lower the risk of prostate cancer. Recent studies have reported a decreased prostate cancer risk for diabetic men, although it is currently unclear whether use of anti-diabetic medication affects the association between diabetes and prostate cancer. Researchers studied a group of men that were diagnosed with prostate cancer and a group of control men without prostate cancer. The total number of subjects comprised nearly 50,000 individuals. Oral diabetes drugs were used by 7.5% of the men with prostate cancer and by 8.4% of controls. The prevalence of insulin use was 2.5% in the cases and 3% in the controls. Men who had a history of taking any diabetes medication had a 16% lower risk of prostate cancer. The decreased risk was comparable for all anti-diabetic drugs, including metformin and insulin. The investigators found that the overall risk, as well as the risk of advanced prostate cancer, decreased with the amount and duration of medication use. While the potential mechanism behind decreased prostate cancer risk for diabetic men is currently unclear, it is very likely that the changes in endogenous hormone metabolism occurring in diabetes have an important role. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News.
1: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope.
5: Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, and over Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848.
3: Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphitech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphitech and its parent company, AZI, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute
4: our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
2: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Celgene and Azai. I'm Kim Tibaldo and today we're talking about male breast cancer. Because men only represent 1% of breast cancer diagnoses, we don't often hear about uh, their cancer journey. And with us today to inform and shed light on male breast cancer are Dr. Oliver Bogler and Dr. Sharon Giordano. Dr. Bogler is Senior Vice President of Academic Affairs and Professor of Neurosurgery Research at MD Anderson. He also serves as its Vice President of the uh, Global Academic Programs. Dr. Bogler was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer in September 2012. Dr. Sharon Giordano is a board-certified medical oncologist. She is also uh, a professor with tenure at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in the Department of Breast Medical Oncology and Chair of the Department of Health Services Research. Uh, Dr. Bugler, we talked at the uh, the top of the show about the fact that your wife uh, was diagnosed uh, five years before you with breast cancer, so you were certainly familiar with the breast cancer journey as a caregiver. But can you describe for, for us what it was like for you to suddenly find your roles reversed in your in your marriage?
3: Sure, it was a little bizarre to be honest, um, uh, not just for me but also for irene and, and also for our kids, um, of course, completely unexpected. Um, I have to say that I, I think I benefited tremendously from um, the experience of having, um, you know, uh, seen my wife go through it and help, help hopefully helped her get through it. Um, her wisdom and, and guidance and experience uh, made my path a lot easier. I wish I could say the same in reverse. Um, I, you know, I, 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 having experienced um, the treatment arc myself, um, you know, chemo and then a, a surgery and then radiation, it's sort of a, Fairly uh, intense ten month program of treatment. Um, uh, I, I you know I wish I had that experience when she was going through it. I would have been a better uh, supporter for her. I think, and if that had been the case,
2: Doctor Giordano, I want to I want to dive in a little bit on some of the medical issues and questions that um, I, I think are sort of swirling around um, this conversation. Can you tell us? Uh, Is breast cancer the same uh, for for men and women? Are the are the warning signs the same uh, that folks should be aware of and looking for?
0: That's a a great question. Um, I think in some ways it is very similar, but it's not a completely identical disease. Um, You asked about the warning signs, and I said those typically are similar. I mean, we I think most men end up finding their own breast cancer because they notice a lump under the nipple, uh, maybe some ulceration of the skin, maybe some discharge from the nipple, um, and you know that eventually leads them to see a doctor and have a biopsy performed to get the diagnosis. Obviously, men aren't getting screened, so we're not seeing um, men that have had mammograms and picked up tiny tumors because um, they really have to be something that you can feel in order to get diagnosed. Um, So, in that sense, the, the presentation is a little bit different. Um, One of the other differences is they do tend in men to be very hormonally driven tumors. Um, One of the things we check in tumors is it's called the estrogen receptor. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, men, just like women, have estrogen in their body, even though we don't typically think about it. And the male tumors tend to be very sensitive to um, treatment by blocking estrogen.
2: It's a, it's, uh, it's, it's very, it's a very, in- that's a very interesting kind of a, a, a medical piece. And you're saying that that's more so in men than in women. The, it is
0: uh, more so in, in men piece. than in women. And, yeah. and I think also, I mean, the other thing, that is really relevant for this question is I think there's a lack of knowledge. Um, you know, we, we think mm-hmm. it's generally the same and some of the signs and symptoms are the same, but mm-hmm. there really hasn't been that much research directed um, specifically at men with breast cancer. So I think part of the answer to that is we just don't know. Oh, no. I, mean, I think mm-hmm. we, we, we haven't really dived in there, um, to the biology of the disease to mm-hmm. understand what makes it similar and, and when it might
2: be different. Interesting. Interesting. I, um, uh, uh, so let's talk for a minute. We talked about some of the warning signs, but let's talk of, uh, let's talk about screening and about uh, detection once some of these warning signs appear. And as you say, we're not doing sort of standard screening in men like we do in women. So once there are some some warning signs, um, what what is the process uh, for actually diagnosing the breast cancer in men? Same, again, same as women.
0: It's pretty similar. I mean, I think most doctors would order a mammogram, um, even though there's not a whole lot of breast tissue. Men can yes. have mammograms, just like women can. So typically, um, a man would have a mammogram performed, and if the if the lump was suspicious, then they would have a biopsy. So the workup is fairly similar. Um, there are. Um, I think in this, as there are in many aspects of male breast cancer, I think challenges for a man trying to navigate the system. I've had many, many um, male patients tell me stories about um, having to argue with the technicians to go back and get their mammogram. That you know, they get called as Mrs. Jones, and then they go back and they go, no, no, sir, it's for your wife. It's not for you. And kind of Mm -hmm. sent away, and they have to kind of make a stink to say, no, actually, it is for me. I am the patient, Um, because, again, even within the medical community, it's just not at the forefront of people's minds. Mm,
2: That's so so interesting. Um, So even really some education that needs to happen, not just with the general public, but with the the healthcare community, the professional community is what you're saying.
0: I think so. And I mean, to some extent, it's just, I mean, we expect since 99% of breast cancer patients are women, it's normal to expect it to be a woman. But there does need to be some sensitivity to the issue that all of the patients are not female.
2: Yeah. Well, but so based on what you're describing, Dr. Giordano, would would it would it follow then that by the time a man is having some symptoms, by the time a man does get get screened, get diagnosed, that that we're seeing we're seeing later stages, more advanced stages of male breast cancer than female breast cancer? Is there a higher mortality rate? Um, a later diagnosis? Is that is that true? Does that hold up?
0: There does tend to be a, a shift towards being diagnosed at later stage for all the reasons that you've mentioned. I think especially because we're not doing mammographic screening. And I'm not suggesting that we should. Um, I I don't think we should, but I think that automatically shifts to diagnosing people at more advanced disease.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the message would be that if, if you feel anything unusual, feel any abnormality, go to the doctor. That's the message. Don't wait.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, if if a man feels a lump under his nipple, he should go get it checked out. I think you also asked about mortality. Um, The mortality may be worse overall, um, but if you take into account the differences in stage, it's not worse stage by stage. So if you have a man that comes in with a stage one breast cancer, his prognosis is just as good as a woman with a stage one breast cancer. Um, The issue is really being diagnosed with more advanced disease.
2: Okay. And just a a, a quick follow on Dr. Giordano. Okay, so when, you know, women, women, we look at ourselves in the mirror, we see breasts, we call them, we call them breasts. When we see a man, we don't call them breasts, we call them, we call them a chest, we call a man's same physiology a chest. So physiologically, is there a difference in terms of what we're seeing and describing? And do you think that by calling it something different, could we be alleviating some of the stigma that we're describing?
0: true. I mean, men do have breasts. It's very similar breast tissue um, as women. They don't, have, they don't have the lobules of the breast that would uh, produce milk, but otherwise they do have breast tissue, just like women do. But you're right, in our, in our language, because we use different words to describe that tissue, um, it, I think it contributes to people not thinking about the possibility that man could get breast cancer, because as you noted, they don't even think of men as having breasts.
2: Right, right. Um, D- Dr. Bogle, you're really in, in the unique position of having experienced the impact of a breast cancer diagnosis and you've had, you know, you've seen treatment up close and personal for both, both a man and for a woman. Um, what are your observations about emotional or psychological differences and in how men and women relate to that part of their body and, and respond to the illness, um, you know, in the, in the breast or chest area?
3: Well I think there are um there are evidently differences I mean I think um m- you know men um relate differently to that part of their body as, as you know Sharon just mentioned it's it's a you know it's, it, it is biologically very similar uh, tissue but it, it serves a very different uh, purpose or in men you know a very limited purpose um and I think men are more probably more comfortable with the, the scars that result. Um, and you know, I was, for example, I was offered uh, reconstruction by one of our plastic surgeons, but uh, it didn't seem to make sense uh, for me to do that. Um, I'm, I'm way past the age where these things really matter. Um, but uh, no, there are, there are clearly differences. Um, uh, and I, you know, I think um, the breast is less less. Um, identified with your own body image, I think it's a different thing. And I think you mentioned at the, uh, in the you know before that the, when looking at the Scar Project photos, the pictures of the women are are emotionally more impactful than of the men. And I think that that is connected to this. Um, you know, from from a personal point of view, both um, Irene and I were primarily focused on on survival, um, on doing everything that we could to, to um, you know improve our um, pro- prognosis. And um, secondarily, um, uh, where, you know, were, were any other issues. So um, in that yeah. sense, I think there's also a lot of commonalities in, in the psychological impact of breast cancer in, in, in the two genders.
2: Um, Dr. Butler, I've got a, just a couple of minutes until our, our, uh, our next break here, but we talked a little bit about, you know, these stories of, of uh, you know, even going in for a mammogram. Wait, where's your wife? You're supposed to. You know, this is. A, you know, you've made a mistake, or or we've heard of men being asked to fill out medical forms and asking if they might be pregnant, or you know, things along things along those lines. Did you experience any of that um, firsthand? We know that sometimes breast cancer is described as sort of being a pink pink world. Was it was was it uncomfortable or awkward for you at
4: times? Um,
3: not not extraordinarily. I mean, uh, you know, I, I received my treatment at MD Anderson and. You know, we we um, have a lot of uh, men with breast cancer there uh, if, through uh, Dr. Giordano's practice. So, um, you know, I had my, I had a mammogram and then a biopsy, just as she described. Um, but our teams are used to seeing men in that in that context, uh, so I didn't really, uh, from a medical treatment point of view, experience that. Um, there are forms that that I routinely still fill out, um, which ask me about my mm-hmm. last period and uh, you know I'm pregnant. But you know uh, I'm okay with it. And you know 99% of, mm-hmm. of people on this path are women, and I'm I'm perfectly um, comfortable you know skipping those questions. I don't have a problem with it. Okay. You know on the larger side, I think there are some issues that that uh, I, I I think um, I. I I would like to talk more about, which are related to the fact that the male disease gets ignored in, when, when it comes time to support research and, and really get to the bottom of the disease. I think in that sense, male breast cancer is an, uh, is an orphan disease.
2: Then, then, then let's, let's, pick, uh, let's pick right up on that topic um, when we come back after the break. Uh, this is, uh, frankly, speaking about cancer. Um, we are talking today about male breast cancer and, again, really trying to educate folks on the fact that, uh, in fact, men can get breast cancer. About 2,240 cases of male breast cancer are diagnosed um, in the U.S. each year. This is a very real issue and a very real challenge for many men um, in our society. And we want to make sure that folks are educated and aware about this so that men have the, uh, the resources and the care and the treatment that they need to manage through this diagnosis. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We will be right back.
5: Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org.
0: Cancer, it's a lonely
5: word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help
4: support from
5: cancer survivors links to research and clinical trials help with finances and access to care all behind you of breakaway from cancer created by amgen to empower cancer patients the cancer support community is proud to be a
0: partner of breakaway from cancer
1: a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
2: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Genentech and Morphotech. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking about male breast cancer. I'm joined by Dr. Oliver Bogler, who was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2012, and Dr. Sharon Giordano, a board-certified medical oncologist. Dr. Bogler, um, you uh, mentioned before the break that um your you know that that you managed through um, you know you were obviously at a at a at a well-known and uh, very sophisticated cancer center when you were being treated um, but that that certainly your general observation has been that um, that uh, male breast cancer is still very much ignored when it comes to the research when it comes to the awareness and that it's still in some sense is very much an orphan disease despite all of the awareness of and and, and uh, investment in breast cancer um, in general, can you talk a little bit more um, about your observations in that on that front
3: sure i be I'd be happy to um, and, and I think dear Dr. Jar Donner already um, uh, touched on it a little earlier, which is that much of the information that we use to guide therapy in for men is based on um, on research and observations made for women, um, and you know, I think the care I received, which was essentially identical to, to the care my wife received, um, uh, and we, you know, our cancers are very similar; they're hormone-driven, and so on. Um, I, you know, I think that was good care, and I'm, you know, I'm uh, optimistic about my prognosis. But, uh, but as Sharon said, I, you know, it's a hormonally-driven cancer, so uh, I think it's it's. it's fairly reasonable to think that there must be some biological differences. And the only way we will uncover those is by doing some research. So I actually took a look, look at this um, uh, a few months back and wrote about it on my uh, blog and, um, uh, and in an opinion piece in, in, the, in the scientific literature. Uh, you know, the National Cancer Institute in the United States uh, spends about $600 million a year on breast cancer research, which is um, about $200 million more than you would, uh, than you would expect, simply looking at the, the prevalence of the disease versus other types of cancer. And I think that's a testament to um, the successes of the pink community and the advocacy group, and I think it's fantastic. But when you look at um, research grants um, that are given to male breast cancer, uh, it's less than uh, a than million dollars a year, significantly less, and they're mostly not biological studies. They're mostly epidemiological studies where um, people are simply counting the numbers of these rare cancers and, and uh, wondering about environmental causes and so on. It's important work, but it's not going to mm-hmm. get us to a biological understanding. So uh, I'm trying to advocate for 1% um, of the funding that goes to breast cancer being devoted specifically to research on the male disease so that mm-hmm. we can begin to learn um, some of these fundamental facts and um, you know, maybe um, uh, improve how we how we treat this disease uh, in the future.
2: So you want the investment funding to be proportionate to the incidence?
3: I think that's a reasonable starting point. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and there are other uh, breast cancers. There's inflammatory breast cancer and triple mm-hmm. negative breast cancer and, and even metastatic breast cancer, which mm-hmm. um, requires additional research uh, to make additional progress.
2: Just a, a, a follow-up question, again, based on, the, the, our, the last segment, Dr. Bogler, you said that, you know, you felt very well cared for at MD Anderson and that, you know, you know, were never made to feel terribly uncomfortable or, or you know, the, uh, in that process. Do you think that if someone was perhaps diagnosed or being treated in a more, let's say, a more rural setting, in a more of a, you know, community setting and not in a big, big academic setting, could you imagine that that experience might be different?
3: Absolutely, and I've heard from uh, you know from, uh, from um, what I call my male breast cancer friends. I've um, you know been active on the social media and in various venues, and have, and have met uh, now quite a few men who who have have this diagnosis and are survivors. And I have heard uh, stories like that, of course, from from others. And you know some of the stories are 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 um, are, are concerned because uh, people uh, talk about having been turned away by their primary care physician. Mm. And, um, you know, misdirected and really sometimes many months have gone, um, have passed when, when they, they could be doing active care, you know, um, treatment and, and they're not because they're still chasing down a diagnosis. So absolutely, I think the stigma and the lack of awareness um, are sort of connected and um, we, need, we need more education.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Dr. Giordano, uh, let's talk for a minute about the, the research that is underway Specifically about men and, and and about male breast breast cancer, is there specific research that is uh, happening, and and essentially, what are we learning?
0: There is. We have. Um, I'm the United States principal investigator for an international collaborative study that we have going on right now to try to really delve into some of these issues and understand better the biology of male breast cancer. So we're, we're working on a three-part study. The first part of this... Um, has been collection of tissue samples from men who have been diagnosed with breast cancer over the past 20 years, as well as the clinical data. Um, we've just finished collecting all that. This is, again, a big international effort that involved um, not only the United States, but a lot of countries in Europe, and have managed to collect oh, about 1,500 um, specimens. And so... Hopefully, with that resource, which really nobody has had that many samples together before, uh, we'll be able to do studies to look at the biology of the disease and try to better understand what makes it you know, the same or different than breast cancer in women. Um, The the second part of it we're just launching now, and this is a a prospective study that will have not only the the tissue collection but also be able to get blood samples from men at the time of diagnosis Mm -hmm. and then survey them to kind of see the quality of life issues they face as well as the side effects from treatment that they may experience. And the study will follow them while they're on treatment. Overall, we, what we're hoping yes. is with this big network, we can put together enough centers that have an interest in male breast cancer that we could mm-hmm. potentially run clinical trials in the future. There really are no clinical trials right now that are specifically focused on male breast cancer, but we're hoping by creating this international effort, um, we may be able to put together enough large centers that we would be able to, to really move the field forward.
2: And in terms, of, um, in terms of what you're learning as it relates to risk factors, are the risk factors for male breast cancer the same as as for female? What are the linkages that we know? Are we seeing uh, the breast cancer gene in men who are getting breast cancer? Are we seeing other, uh, you know, other lifestyle or environmental risk factors that w- that we potentially also see in women? Um, so some.
0: Of- are very similar. For example, the, the BRCA gene or the breast cancer gene um, is very strongly linked to breast cancer in men as well as breast cancer in women. The, the risk for a man that has one of these mutations is not nearly as high as it is for a woman, um, but it clearly increases the risk uh, substantially for men that have these mutations. A lot of the other risk factors do seem to be hormonally driven. Obviously, they're different than women because it's not based on the age of your first period or how many children you've had or you know how long you breastfed. So, in that sense, they're all quite different. Uh, but it does appear that baseline levels of hormones may somehow influence the risk of breast cancer in men, um, similar to
2: how it does in women. And so there are men who could, who could certainly carry the BRCA gene, not get breast cancer, but pass that gene on to their children.
0: Absolutely. And right. but if they do have the BRCA gene, they probably should be more intensely screened for breast cancer because they do have, um, you know, well, again, it's not the you know, 70% risk we might see in women, but it might be a 10% risk, which is pretty high. I mean, it's not not negligible.
2: And would that, would a male, a testing positive for that gene, prompt a, let's say, a more aggressive screening or surveillance program for that person? Yeah, it would. It would. It would. And, and would, the insur- would, would insurance pay for that?
0: Um, I have not had any issues with, with mm-hmm. getting that covered. I mean, I typically see most of my patients already have been diagnosed with breast cancer, so I'm in a little bit different situation. But um, I would expect that they would. It's, you know, it's recommended on national guidelines, such as the NCCN guidelines, that men with mutations do have more intense surveillance. So I would expect that insurers would, would cover that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's good Good to know. Um, Dr. Bogler, we've got a couple minutes until we get to our next break here, but I, you know, I've mainly been asking you certainly about your own personal experience as a cancer patient, as a caregiver um, to your wife, but you're also a researcher and you work at one of the world's leading cancer institutions. And you know, I've read that you've said, um, quote, I'm blogging, tweeting, and asking awkward questions at, at, scientific, <laughs> at scientific meetings. Um, what do you mean by that? What are some of the awkward questions and, and how are they being received by your colleagues?
3: So, um, you know, I, as you said earlier, I'm a, I'm, my history is in, uh, in neurobiology, uh, brain tumor research, and so I'm new to the world of breast cancer, but um, I now go to quite a lot of breast cancer meetings and seminars, and one of the questions I often ask is um, when people are presenting clinical studies or, um, you know, genetic studies, I ask, you know, did you include men? Um, are there men in your, in your sample, and um, are there men in your clinical trial? Um, and, you know, it, uh, that's an awkward question, and, and um, so, you know, I've learned, bit, but it's a well-received question, I should say. You know, our, my, my my colleagues are um, very open to, 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 to this. Um, what I've learned is that in many cases, people design a clinical trial today on the model that they used for the previous clinical trial, and so um, often men are not included just because of um, sort of inertia or tradition. Um, It turns out when you look at the trials in uh, clinicaltrials.gov, which is the Clearinghouse website, you can look up um, all the trials in the United States and that men are only eligible for a third of the trials being run in breast cancer and um, there's clearly an opportunity to increase that and give us more access. So that's the key awkward question that I ask and in most cases, um, people very quickly say, you know what, I hadn't thought about it or uh, that's a great uh, point, Um, it's a great opportunity, I'll I'll give it some more thought and maybe in my next trial I will make it uh, available to men as well.
2: You know, I want to ask you just quickly about something else you wrote in your blog. You wrote that, that your definition of a cancer survivor is someone who is more aware of their mortality than others. Um, and I think that's 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 interesting. I'm not sure you can give me a quick answer on that, but I'm going to have to ask for a, a quick answer on on you know kind of it's sort of very kind of existential context there. But what 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 did you mean by that? What what prompted that language? Well, it's
3: largely a positive thing. I think you know I think you know we we're all living on borrowed time. It's a cliche, but I think once you've you've had a brush with a, you know a, a disease of this um, seriousness. It alerts you to this very clearly, especially when you have it relatively early. I'm 20 years younger than the typical man diagnosed with this disease. And it's a, it's a wake-up call to make um, the best use of the time that you do have and try and think every day of how you can make an impact. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I get to work at a great cancer center and support my, my colleagues, but I, I'm also interested in advocacy and, and, and the discussion around cancer for that reason. Uh, I wake up every day trying to make a difference.
2: And, and was, your, was your advocacy prompted by your wife's diagnosis, your diagnosis, or both? Uh,
3: my diagnosis. My wife is a little bit more private than I am. I'm obviously mm-hmm. quite out there. Um, so it's mm-hmm. really only since I've been diagnosed that, um, that I've started this work. And, um, you know, she's very supportive, but she prefers mm-hmm. to remain a little bit in, uh, in the shadows, if you will.
2: <laughs> yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, everybody has to find their own, their own way, that's for sure. Um, Absolutely. This, is, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about male Uh, breast cancer. We're having a really kind of fascinating conversation. This is an area uh, I think where most folks don't have good facts and don't have good information. A lot of folks out there who don't really know or understand that men can even get uh, breast cancer. So we've got two terrific guests with us today. We've got to go to a quick break right now, but don't go away. We've got more to talk about. We'll be right back.
1: a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
2: You're listening to Frankly Speaking about Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Millennium and by Amgen. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Today we're having an enlightening conversation with Dr. Oliver Bogler and Dr. Sharon Giordano about male breast cancer. Dr. Bogler was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2012, and Dr. Giordano is a medical oncologist. Both work at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Um, We did a show a few months ago with New York Times columnist and cancer survivor uh, Suleika Jouad. She writes about her experiences as a young adult diagnosed with cancer and finding herself like others her age um, really orphaned between pediatric care and adult care. Um, in oncology. It seems to me, um, and I'm going to ask both of you a little bit about this, but it seems to me that men with breast cancer may find themselves, um, you know, in a similar situation, sort of straddling, uh, you know, straddling multiple worlds. I'm curious to know what you both uh, think about whether or not it would make a difference in attitude and research funding if male uh, breast cancer, you know, had a different name. I mentioned earlier that, you know, women's, women's Chest area, we refer to them as our breasts, and with a man, that area is referred to as um, as their chest. Um, Dr. Bogler, do you think if we changed the name, it might change the stigma? Does it matter? It
3: it might, but I think you know. um, Speaking first and foremost as a biologist, I think it's appropriate to call it breast cancer because it is. A cancer of, of the breast tissue, um, and frankly, I think the connectivity to the women's breast cancer community is largely a plus. I mean, uh, these are, these women have been the pioneers of of changing the conversation around cancer in the United States and now the world. Um, so I'm honored um, to be connected with them, and, and would rather rather follow in their wake um, than than, than uh, carve off a different uh,
2: part of the space. Mm-hmm. Dr. Giordano what are your thoughts?
0: I think the issues that face research around male breast cancer is really common to a lot of other orphan diseases. Um, You know, there are a lot of rare tumors and I think for, you know, any tumor that only has a couple of thousand people diagnosed in a year, it's it is just, in a very practical sense, it's hard to do research because of the small numbers of patients. So, while I completely agree with Dr. Bogler's call for more research funding to support research on male breast cancer, um, some of the limitations in what have been done are also just because it's hard to, there aren't so many patients to be able to, to do large research studies. So, I think some of the issues are just due to the rarity of the disease. Um, and not just the name.
2: Dr. Bogler, how has the female advocacy, breast cancer advocacy community, sort of responded to your advocacy efforts? Are you finding resistance? Are you finding support? Are you finding that, uh, uh, that uh, these advocates who are advocating for more research for, for breast cancer are willing to sort of embrace and include male breast cancer in, you know, in, their, in their fight?
3: Absolutely, I would say by and large, uh, very welcoming, uh, very open. I mean, um, particularly on the sort of more rough and tumble um, social media uh, parts of it. I mean, I'll give you one example. I participate um, in the breast cancer social media group, which um, is a tweet uh, uh, a tweet chat that happens every uh, Monday evening under the hashtag BCSM. And uh, last October, actually, there was a a tweet chat dedicated to the male disease, and um, they've been very welcoming. So, um, you know, on the more established side, the the larger uh, breast cancer foundations, um, I'm uh, in an ongoing dialogue and trying to attract their attention to the opportunities. Uh, that research in, uh, in, on the male disease offers, for example, the clinical trial that Dr. Giordano mentioned, that, uh, which I think is a fantastic effort by her and her colleagues, uh, now that all this tissue is being collected of, from men, there's a huge opportunity to do some very exciting research, um, and that's a great uh, chance for a funding agency to come in and really um, push, the, push things forward, um, uh, and, and so that, that, that's, uh, still there's still some work to be done in that area, I would say.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Dr. Giordano, how did you how did you become interested in this area of male breast cancer? Yeah, I've always thought it was
0: I've always thought it was a very interesting topic. And when I was still doing my training, I wrote a paper on the topic, and that paper started leading to referrals into my clinical practice, and so that kind of snowballed, and I ended up seeing most of the male patients that come to MD Anderson. Um, there are some days where it's probably a quarter to a third of the patients that I see are male patients. So I have a fairly large practice of male mm-hmm. patients. Um, and I just think it's, a, I think it's a very interesting topic. And because it hasn't been well studied, it is, um, as Dr. Bogler mentioned before, it's sort of an area I feel that I can make a difference.
2: Dr. Bogler, let's, let's, just for a moment, let's say that your, your audience are healthcare and medical professionals. What do you think are things that hospitals, doctors, other healthcare professionals can do to make things more comfortable for male patients with breast cancer?
3: Um, you know, I think just to you know, accept them as, as part of their patient community, um, you know, particularly for the primary care physicians, uh, take it seriously when a man comes with, uh, with some change in their breast uh, tissue. Uh, take them seriously, um, you know, uh, have them take a thorough look at it. And uh, otherwise, just I think, uh, you know, care, care for us is not that different from care uh, the, from sort of the requirements that, that anyone with cancer has. Um, and, and getting good um, you know care from a compassionate um,
2: doctor dr giordano you're on you're on national news telling America about male breast cancer what What are some of the things that you would want the average person out there to know about male breast cancer
0: i mean I think it's the topics with the, that we 've covered I think it's really important that people just know that men can get breast cancer mm-hmm. so that if a man develops a lump it 's not something that gets ignored and I also agree with what Dr. Bogler said that it's important for the medical community also to be aware and to appropriately work up, diagnose, and treat um, a lump in a male breast.
2: Yeah, you know, I I had um, as we get to the end of the show here, um, I had some, I had a couple of young young folks in their twenties with with cancer, the, a, a young woman who had breast cancer and a young man who had testicular cancer, and they felt like there were a lot of similarities in their experience around breast cancer and testicular cancer because it was a, such identity with their with their sexuality, with their malehood, with their femalehood. Um, Dr. Bogler, do you do you see any any analogy there? Do you see any um, you know what do you think about that comparison?
3: No, absolutely. I, I completely understand that. I think um, you know, and 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 frankly, you know, this is, uh, you know, I'm I'm on a, a, a tamoxifen as part of my hormone therapy mm-hmm. now for a long term, and that you know that causes changes in my body too. These are yeah. very um, you know hormonal cancers like the ones you mentioned, testicular and breast. Um, yeah. There's a, there are some profound dimensions to to the therapy that you undergo, and there are similarities. Um, uh, you know, on the other hand, I think my focus is on on survival and um, and uh, providing for my kids, and um, so I'm not I'm not so personally focused on that.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Well, this has been um, just an amazing conversation today. I'm so grateful to you, Dr. Bogler, and to you, Dr. Giordano, for coming on the show today and sharing your your knowledge and your um, experience with us and helping to enlighten. Uh, all of us, all of our listeners, and and all of us uh, uh, in the community, consumers, healthcare professionals about uh, about male breast cancer. I think that it is uh, such an important topic, and and uh, I think through the show today we have a good uh, platform to raise awareness of these um, uh, important issues that are out there, and and. Uh, Hopefully, we'll uh, encourage uh, men who are perhaps listening today that when they do have any uh, mm-hmm. symptoms, abnormalities, they should go straight away to the doctor and, and, um, and get things checked out. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's really been my pleasure having you guys join us today. I just want to uh, mention for our listeners, the Cancer Support Community provides a, a multitude of in-person, online, and telephone support programs for people with all cancers at all stage of disease and also for the caregivers and loved ones of people with cancer. We've got 50 beautiful centers around the United States where we do support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Uh, And again, all of our programs are for patients and for, uh, for their caregivers and And loved ones. So we encourage you to check that out. Um, You can find a list of all of our centers on our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. You could call our helpline. Uh, In fact, you could call right now if you want to speak with one of our trained, licensed uh, counselors on our helpline. That number is 888-793-9355. Again, if you're out there grabbing a pen, um, cancersupportcommunity.org is our website And 888-793-9355 is our helpline. Thanks for joining me today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well.